Well, it sure is good to see people here today. Amen. Last week, uh, we pre-recorded, so I preached to, to pretty much an empty uh, auditorium. It was very lonely. It is not lonely today. So praise the Lord that you all are here and that we had no snow or ice to have to deal with in coming in this morning. <clears throat> Somebody, I believe it was young Grayson over there, said to me this week that since they were missed last Sunday, then pastor today, you should get double the amens. I said, I like that, Grayson. So what we want is we want double the amens today, okay? Amen and amen, right? Good deal. Well, we're looking at running the race uh, this whole year and the refining road of repentance. And uh, this is finishing up the book of Joel today. We've been in the book of Joel now for about six weeks or so. And today we're looking at the greatest day. Greatest day. Now we think about days. We think about good days. Good days for us would be there's no ice in the forecast. Uh, Everyone's healthy and all is good. Those are good days. Okay, so those are good days. What are greater days? Well, greater days would be that the weather is beautiful and 70 to 72 degrees. Those are greater days. Everybody's healthy, everybody's happy, and these are greater days. So if those are greater days, then what's the greatest day? I'd say the greatest day would be all of that plus fried chicken. (laughs) Maybe sweet tea and chocolate pie. I mean, that just sounds like the greatest day, amen? The greatest day. But I guess in reality, if we think about the greatest day, thinking that way really is a little bit too temporal. So let's think differently as we think about the greatest day. We think about the greatest day that is yet to come. Not a short-lived or fleeting day, but a day that lasts forever. That is the greatest day. Y'all with me? That's what we're going to be looking at here at the end of Joel. These last five verses, we're going to be be seeing here how the Lord, through Joel, is pointing to the last days, which is the greatest day. So we're going to look at, pick up in chapter 3, verse 17, go to the end of the book, end of the chapter, verse 21. If you're able and honor reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand uh, as I read this passage for us today. The Bible says this, thus said the Lord, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountain shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Verse 19, Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we pray that you would take this passage and may it jump off the pages and into our hearts today. Lord, that we may understand the hope that's ours because of Jesus. The hope that has, was promised, the hope that is, the hope that is yet to be. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. If there are those here today, either in-house or online, who don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the hour where they would search their heart to know whether they're saved or lost, if they belong to Jesus or not. And may we walk away from here today with the conviction, as you've called us to yourself, that people would be saved and hearts changed and lives transformed by the power of the good news of Christ. 
I pray also, Father, for those of us who do know you, that, Lord, as we walk through these few verses, that you would speak to our hearts and remind us of the hope that's ours. And, Lord, may it renew our faith, may it recharge our spiritual batteries, and may we be on fire for you to be more in love with you and more like you, not only as we leave from this place, but as we live this life out day by day. And, Father, now I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as I said, we're finishing up Joel, and we're going to sort of recap a little bit as we think back on some of the things that's been said in Joel, how it began, how it ends now. Let me give you the first point. There are four points. If you picked up a little bulletin notes on your way in, or if you downloaded uh, the bulletin, or if you have the app, you see there's four points and two to-dos. And the first thing we want you to see here, the greatest day will be where we'll We will never be defiled by sin. The greatest day will be where we'll never be defiled by sin. Now let's just recap and think about what has taken place as we come now to the end of Joel. Remember that Joel began with tragedy, but it ends with triumph. It began with the people who had departed from God, but now it ends with his continued presence in and with them. It begins with their sin, but it ends with their forgiveness. It begins because of their sin. There was despair and there was despondency, but now it ends with hopefulness and promise from the Lord. The book begins with those who do not repent, and therefore they face what was known as the day of the Lord. But now it ends with promise for those who are his, and it looks forward to the greatest day. Now, remember, as we talked, if you watched online last week, and I hope that you did. If you didn't, you need to go back and and pick that up. But if you watched last week, you saw that when we think about prophecy, and in the Old Testament specifically, when a prophet is receiving a word from the Lord, it applies not only to what is then, but also what is yet to come. And so we look at prophecy as a big picture. We look at it this way, and we kind of look in, and then we focus in on different passages of Scripture. But as a prophet receives the word from the Lord, they receive the prophecy. They give it, and it's like them sitting on a, tra- on a train looking down the track. And so there are things that apply to them close at hand, but also the prophet Joel sees some things that are down the way, but he doesn't know how far down the way. And if you go further enough down the way, sometimes those things look like they're the same place, but in reality, one's further than the other. So what we're going to do with these last five verses is see the promises that God has made through the prophet Joel and see how it applied to then among the children of Israel, how it applies today, and then also what, it, what we're looking for in the greater day that is yet to come. Y'all with me? Okay? Amen? So that's what we're going to see. So the first thing we'll look at is verse 17, the promise of God to the children of Israel, where he says these words to them right on the heels of where he had talked about how he will destroy their enemies. You know, he's going to roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Their heavens and earth will quake. Then we see verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. Now, remembering that the children of Israel now have repented and they have turned back to the Lord. And so that which the Lord promised, he has completed, he has done. He has reversed the curse, reversed the calamity. He gives the promise of more of that, keeping the enemies at bay. And so he promised and reversed the curse. And so he says here now, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. 
And so as he fulfills these promises, they would remember and know that he is indeed the Lord, their God. And he has reminded them here that he is in the midst of them and that he is with them. And what we know is that wherever the Lord is, that place is holy. Amen? Wherever the Lord is, is holy. And as we look at this verse, in verse 17, the key words there are holy. We see he talks about my holy mountain and Jerusalem shall be holy. And as a holy place, their shame is removed, as we saw back in chapter 2, as he is with them. And so what the Lord is telling the people here, he's telling his people, he is saying, look, your city is holy because I am there. Your city will be holy because I am there and nothing will defile the city. In other words, strangers will not enter into this city, meaning anyone who does not worship me will enter into this city. And he is talking also about the foreign invaders who he has, he has kept away. And so as he's saying these words to the people through the prophet Joel, what a great word of assurance of his covenant promises to his people who had been so far away from him. And so what the Lord is doing is they have repented now and, and the curse has been reversed is that the Lord now uh, is reminding them of his love and his promise that he is their God and they are his people. And that as such, there's no shame because they're in a holy place with holy God. Now, while this was a comfort for his people, then as the Lord gave this prophecy to Joel, he intended also for this to point further down the track to a greater day. And we are living in a greater day. And so he is pointing down the track to a day where his people are made holy. He is pointing down the track to a, a day where our shame is taken away, where a day when we are not defiled by sin. And beloved, as I said, today we are living in that greater day. Well, how is it that we're living in that greater day? Well, we're living in a day where sin no longer defiles us as disciples. And how is that, Pastor? Well, as disciples, here's the thing, is that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And our shame has been taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are holy as he is holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we have the righteousness of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 22, we read these words about today is that greater day. And it says, and now you, want, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death on the cross in order to present you, what? Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So now we are holy as he is holy only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're not defiled by sin because we're holy in the sight of God. Some say, well, but wait, but wait a minute, pastor. If our shame is gone and we're holy, I don't quite understand why, why then do I still sin? I mean, I, I still sin, and I still struggle, Pastor, and I still struggle with the flesh, and I still fail in my faith at times. And I would say this, ah, yes, beloved, that is true. We have been made clean by the blood of Jesus, and we are still tempted. And sometimes, 
As humans, we fail and sometimes we fall. But here's what you must remember. You must remember that we are only living in the greater day. It is not yet the greatest day. Amen? Y'all with me? We're living in the greater day. It's not the greatest day. Say, okay, well, what are we talking about here? Well, as you look further down the track, as God through Joel is writing these words, we see these things. We see the greatest day. That there is coming a day when we will never be defiled by sin ever again. Because there's a place that as disciples of Jesus Christ we're going, that's a place called heaven. And there's no sin in heaven. In Revelation chapter 21, again, verse 8, we see these words, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then if you skip down to verse 27 in that same chapter where it's talking about that heavenly city, we see there that but, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no sin in heaven. Can you imagine a place, friends, where there is no sin? A place that's devoid of our pride. A place where dishonesty is gone forever. A place where disobedience to God is absent. A place where immorality and wickedness are no more. A place where hatred and bitterness and strife are vanished forever. I mean, glory, amen? What a place that is going to be. The greatest day is to be in that place where there will never be defiled by sin ever again. The second thing about the greatest day we see here is it's where we'll never be deficient of any necessity. Where we'll never be deficient of any necessity. All right, let's look at verse 18. Joel as God leads Joel to write these words, he says this, verse 18, And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. And so we see here, as he is talking there to the people of Israel, that, he, that they, if you remember, that they, because of their sin, because they had strayed from the Lord, because God did not have all of their heart, because they had placed him as not their first priority, they had walked away from him, the locust plague came, the drought came, and there was the, the potential for the invasion of the army, the enemy army. So they had been depleted, and they had been emptied due to the plague and to the drought. And so now God is saying to them, because they had repented, he's saying that he would provide. He's making that promise. We've saw that all through chapter 2 and chapter 3 now. He said he would provide. Even with their early shortages, abundant waters, he says, now will flow. Notice the words that he uses in verse 18. I mean, just think about it. They had been through such drought and such plague because of the locusts. And now he's saying, and in that day, the mountains shall drip 
sweet wine. It's like it's overflowing. There's so much it just drips, this sweet wine. And the hill shall flow with milk. Evidently, there's a lot of cattle that's going to be provided for them as well because it's going to flow with milk. And all the stream beds that had been dried up of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley. Man. He's given them quite the promise. And he's saying even that it would flow from the house of the Lord. Now, if they're living in that day, maybe they're wondering how would that even be possible that water would come from the house of the Lord? Because there's no river that comes from the temple. There's no river that comes from the house of the Lord. So for them, it would be seen as God's provision from his hand. They would be thinking, as as was said back in verse 16, that if the Lord could roar uh, from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earthquake, then certainly he could supply their every need. So they hear this promise here of God through the prophet that he is going to give them the abundant supply. They will have abundant supply that the streams will no longer run dry. He is the Lord and he's going to provide as their provider. And so, and while they see this in their day, the Lord intended for this to point not only to that moment, but also to further down the track to a greater day. We are living in a greater day. A day where his people, God's people, are satisfied in him. A day where his people delight in him. It's a day where we find in him all we need. Today we're living in a greater day. Amen? Today is a greater day. So here's the thing, is that in Christ Jesus, you need to know that we will never be deficient of any necessity because he is our provider and he keeps his promises and we have our abundance in him. I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute, pastor. I don't, I don't have much. I don't have a lot of money. I don't even have a car that runs. And just last week, I didn't have heat. And I didn't have water. Beloved, that may be the case, but here's what you do have. What you do have is Jesus. What you do have is Jesus. And he is our abundant supply of everything we need. Say, well, I I need food. And I need water. Yes, the Lord provides. But let me tell you this. This life is temporary. And the things of this life are temporary. What the Lord provides is eternal. It's real life. Amen? It's real life. And so he is the abundant supply of everything we need. When this life is over, we still have Jesus. We still have him. He, so therefore, he brings the abundance of joy in life. He is the water of life. He is the bread of life. He is the fountain of living waters. He is our rest, and he is our satisfaction. We are living in a greater day because Jesus is the abundance of joy and the abundance of life. In John 4, verse 10, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, uh, he said these words, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says these words, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the abundance of all that satisfies. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. But pastor... I know you say that today is a greater day in Jesus, but pastor, I still have struggles and I still have sorrow and I still have pain. And there are times, pastor, when I just don't even feel the joy. I say, ah, yes, beloved, that is true. In this world and in this life, there will be times of loss. There'll be times of difficulty and there'll be times of strain. But you must remember, remember that we're only living in a greater day, it is not the greatest day. You see, as we look now at how this points further down the track, we see that greatest day that is yet to come. That greatest day when we find our fullest expression of satisfaction in Jesus. A day when the delights, listen, a day when the delights of this world seem as trivial crumbs in comparison to the endless banquet of his glory. A day when life literally flows from his throne forever. In Revelation chapter 6, again, we go there and see further down the track as to what we see here in verse 15 through 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne shall be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. There it is here in this passage. The fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. This life comes from the throne of God and the Lamb, Jesus. The greatest day, friends, will be where we'll never be defiled by sin never deficient of any necessity, and then thirdly, we will never be defeated by enemies. The greatest day is a day we will never be defeated by enemies. So we see what's going on here. We remember that these people in Joel's day had the, the, the possibility of the invasion army that was coming, the invasion of an army that was coming. The Lord turned them back as they repented. And now he says to them in verses 19 to the first part of verse 21, Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they've shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever. Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged. And so what he's saying here is as God gives this word to Joel to the people to prophecy as well, but to the people of that day, as they hear these words, Egypt and Edom represent all of those who had oppressed them and had fought them as the people of God. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture is that while God's people would have plenty, where the, the, the mountains are dripping with wine and the hills are flowing with milk and the stream beds are flowing with water, that their enemy shall be desolate. 
that the, the God's people would have plenty, but the enemies of God would be desolate. And that God's enemies would, would pay the price of shedding innocent blood, that they'd pay the price of cruelty to his people. But what a great word for God's people of that day to hear as they had repented and turned back to the Lord that they were on that verge of an invasion, but the Lord turned back the enemy because of their repentance. And now he tells them of the security that they have in him. And he says that their enemies shall be desolate. I will avenge, the Lord says. And while they see this in their day, the Lord intended also for this to point further down the track to a greater day. Today, we live in a greater day. Pointing down to the day, a day when the adversary is defeated a day when the enemy is overcome, a day when the foe is vanquished. We live in the greater day today. You say, well, all right, my enemies are now going to be defeated and conquered. So what, what and who are our enemies as disciples? Is it those Democrats? Are it those Republicans? Are those Chinese or those Russians? Are those liberals or those conservatives? You see, friends, contrary to what the world thinks, or maybe what you think, our enemy, according to the holy word of God, is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And so our enemy, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, our enemies are Satan and death and sin. Those are our true enemies. And today, listen, these enemies, y'all with me this morning? Amen. These enemies are ultimately defeated through the cross of Calvary and at the empty tomb. These enemies have been conquered. These enemies have been vanquished. These enemies have been defeated at the cross of Calvary by Jesus. And so we are living in a greater day because these enemies have been defeated by Jesus. Our victory, listen, we live in victory because our victory is through Jesus Christ. I love that passage of Scripture. We touched it on a song just a few minutes ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57, that death is swallowed up in victory. One of our enemies, death, is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our victory is in Jesus because Jesus is the victor. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we read these words. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the victor. He is triumphant, and the enemies are defeated. But pastor, I know that these enemies have been defeated, but the truth is, pastor, I still struggle with sin. And I still face the death of loved ones. And as I face death, it hurts. And pastor, there are times when the enemy is attacking and it's hard. And pastor, it only seems to be getting worse as I look out across the TV and the social media and there are because there are plenty of those people who are against Christ. There are plenty who are against his word. There are plenty who are against his church. And I say, oh yes, beloved, 
That's true. We still live in a sin-sick, sin-saturated, sinful world. But remember, we are only living in a greater day. It is not the greatest day yet. Amen? And so we look further down the track as to what's being said here in those passages of Scripture, and this is what we see, that one day all of our defeated enemies will be gone forever. Sin, Satan, sorrow, suffering, pain, and death. These enemies will ultimately be defeated and conquered by the king forever. And Revelation 17, verse 14, again, we read that they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is, here's why the lamb Jesus conquers, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. The enemy of sin, which causes pain, the enemy of sin, which causes suffering, the enemy of sin, which causes sorrow, will also be defeated one day. In Revelation 21, 4, we read these words. Uh, somebody's already primed the pump for me this morning with this passage of Scripture. Verse 4 says, he will, listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beloved, we're living in a greater day, but there is a greatest day that's coming. The greatest day will be where we'll never be defiled by sin, never be deficient of any necessity, never be defeated by enemies, and where, fourthly, we'll never be de detached from the Lord. We'll never be detached from the Lord. Now, remember back in the last chapter in verse 27, you know, the Lord, they'd, call, they'd come back to the Lord. He made them the promise. He told them there that, that I'm in the midst of Israel. I'm the Lord your God, and there is none, none else. And he was with them. And then we find in the first part of verse 17, the latter part of verse 21, that he says sort of the same thing where he talks about, I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion. And then verse 21, for the Lord dwells in Zion. I am in the midst of Israel. So what is the, what is the Lord who is, what is he saying to his people? He's saying to his people then, I will be with you. And that in his presence, they find that they are satisfied and that there's security and that there is assurance. And so as the Lord makes them this promise as they had repented and returned to him, they would know that they have not been abandoned, that the Lord is with them, that he would provide abundantly, and that he is their assurance and their security against an enemy invader and that his presence is what brought them great comfort. And while they see this in their day as prophesied by Joel, the Lord also intended for this to point further down the track to a greater day. We live in that greater day, a day when his people can walk with him and talk with him, a day when we know that we're not alone, a day when we hear his voice and he directs our path. Today is a greater day because of Jesus. You see, you say, how is that, Pastor? Well, here it is. God came in human form and lived as a man. His name is Jesus. He came and he dwelt among us. The Word became flesh, the Bible says. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is God with us. 
He is God in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. And as we see him, we see who God said he was in the book of Joel, also as he said back in the book of Exodus, that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life. And yet he took the penalty for sin, death, upon himself as he took your sin, my sin, upon himself. He was crucified and died a cruel death on the cross, was buried and was resurrected bodily from the grave. He ascended into heaven and then he sent the Spirit of God who now dwells in each of us as believers. And as he dwells in each of us as believers, then we are his people who can walk with him and talk with him. We know we're not alone and we hear his voice and he directs our path. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20, says, Do you not know that the, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price? So glorify God in your body. But pastor, I know he's supposed to be with us all the time, but pastor, I, honestly, there are times when it seems I cannot sense his presence. There are times when I feel all alone. There are times when I don't know which direction to go. And I would say this, I, yes, beloved, that is true. There will be times when the way is not clear. There will be times when the path seems lonely. There will be times when the journey is hard. But remember, we are not alone. And remember that we're only living in the greater day. It is not the greatest day. There's a better day coming. The best day. So as we look at this, we look further down the track, and this is what we see, the greatest day. And as we look down the track, the greatest day that we will forever be in His presence. We will forever be in the presence of God, and we will know without a doubt, as we are in His presence, that, that we, were, we are and we were never alone. And there in His presence, we will worship at his feet, and we will see him face to face. And let me tell you this, and whatever we think that day will be, beloved, it will be far more than that. Did y'all catch that? Whatever you think that day is going to be, it's going to be far more than that. Again, in Revelation 21, verse 3, says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Skip over to the next chapter, verse, chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. We read these words. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, for they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. There will be no need no light, no, no, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We will be in the very presence of God. We will see the one that we sang about this morning. We will see the one that we have prayed to and sing to. We will see the one that we have, that has saved us, who went to the cross for us. We will see the one that we worship. We will see him in all of his glory. We will be with the Lord. That will be 
the greatest day. Amen? Forever. The greatest day forever. The question then is this, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? We're living in a greater day, but there's one day even better. It's the greatest day. Do you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? That day where we'll never be defiled by sin, we will never be deficient of any necessity. That day we will never be defeated by enemies. We will never be detached from the Lord forever. What a day. Two things to do. Number one, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Can't you imagine that as the children of Israel heard these words from the Lord by the prophet? I mean, what hope they had in knowing that God was with them and would provide for them. But beloved, even more so with us as we're living in a greater day. So here's the thing is that even in a pandemic, even that it has continued to go on and on and on, even in times of quarantine, even in times of having to wear masks, even in uncertain times politically and uncertain times culturally and in our society, when we look out across our, our land and we shake our heads and not knowing what to do, even with unparalleled, unparalleled winter ice storms with no electricity and no water, hear me, all hope is not lost. We have hope because of Jesus. And we have hope because of Jesus, because Jesus lives. And our hope is in what is yet to come because Jesus not only lives, but Jesus is coming again. Our hope is in that greatest day. Our hope is in what's happening today through Jesus as well and what he's done in our lives. Hold on to hope. All hope is not lost when you know Jesus Christ. Here's the second to do. Consider now which camp you are in. Are you in the camp of those who have hope or those who do not? Are you in the camp of those who know the Lord Jesus and know that we're in a greater day, but there is a greatest day that is yet ahead? Or are you in the camp where you have not trusted Jesus by faith and the day of the Lord that he talked about earlier in the book of Joel is still ahead of you? A day of wrath, a day of judgment for you. The worst day, you're not looking forward to the greatest day, beloved, the worst day, is still ahead of you. You think you've had it rough here. You ain't seen rough. The worst day. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, which camp are we in? Are we in those who belong to Jesus or those who are not? I was reading this week, I saw this quote, that when the Titanic sank, when the Titanic sank, and they were listing the people from the Titanic, they had two lists. One said, those who are saved, and one said, those who are lost. Those who are saved, those who are lost. Beloved, which camp are you in? Are you those who have given their heart to the Lord Jesus, and you're looking forward to the greatest day? Then you're saved, saved from perishing. But if you're still going about things your own way, trusting in a religion, not a relationship, Canon on your church membership to get you into heaven? Or living wickedly like the rest of the world? Then you're in this camp, those who are lost. But I'm here to tell you that our God still saves to the uttermost. Because there was a day when I was in that camp of those who were lost. 
But God in His grace reached down and saved my soul. And now I'm in this camp, those who are saved. I hope you're in that camp too. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, I implore you to contact us today how we can point you that you can know of your salvation in Christ. For those of us who do know Jesus, I encourage you as we walk away from here today to remember that no matter what's happening in this world, all hope is not lost because we know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may you be with us as you're dealing with hearts today to know which camp we're in, to be reminded of the hope that's ours in Jesus. Whatever the case may be, Lord, may you convict us of sin. May you challenge us. May you comfort us. May you help us to be the people of God you want us to be. And Father, I pray that as we've heard the message for those who know you as Lord and Savior, that we walk away more in love with Jesus, more excited about who you are, more reveling in who you are and what you've done, but also what is yet to come on the greatest day. And for those, Father, I pray who don't know you, who are not sure, I pray that through the message today, Lord, that there would be a sense of of urgency in their hearts and lives to touch base with one of our pastors, to contact us through social media or on email at info at mpbclife.com, but to, to reach out to us that we may be able to point them to Jesus. God, may you work as only you can in the hearts and lives of people, whether we're in-house, in-person, or online. Lord, we want us all to be want all of our friends, our family, when the lists are laid out, that there'd be no one in that they're lost, but they were saved. God, help us to be your people, to love you, to live for you, to follow you, to worship you, to adore you, to praise you, to exalt you, to magnify you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to walk with you, talk with you. And know that you are there. And that one day, we will see you face to face. Lord, for your glory, honor, and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.